You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades because, again, your life should have options. So thank you so much for tuning in to today. On today's show, number 164, we're going to cover the two major problems with buying options during low implied volatility markets. So I feel like there's this complex that's out there right now, and even though we've talked about this before, we're going to hit this subject again, maybe from potentially a different angle and give you guys a different resource to kind of get over this hurdle. But right now, there's this complex out there that when implied volatility is high, we should be selling options, which is understood. And a lot of people think, well, when implied volatility is low, then you should always do the alternative, which is to be buying options. Now, our thought process on this has changed over the years. Originally, we thought, look, we only sell during high implied volatility markets. And about five or six years ago, we looked at all the research that we had done and other people had done and said, look, there's still probably an edge to be gained or there is still an edge to be gained. The implied volatility risk premium is still there and available to be captured as an option seller during low implied volatility markets. And in some cases, the edge is just as great or the same as during high implied volatility markets. And so what we started to do is make a shift to trading during all implied volatility environments, basically, you know, implied volatility agnostic to some degree that we don't care where implied volatility is. We just want to position size accordingly during low volatility versus high. But now there's still this like stigma out there that during low implied volatility markets, you have to be an option buyer, or that's when you get an edge as an option buyer. And I think that when implied volatility markets are low, you have the best chance of being successful potentially as an option buyer, but that doesn't mean you're going to be. In fact, it's incredibly hard to still do it even during low implied volatility. And so what I want to do today is I want to try to tackle this from maybe a different angle. And I want to cover just like the highlights and my commentary on this on a research report that we put up on our Facebook page. It's a third-party research report, so we'll add a link to it. It's totally free and available to the public from AQR. And we'll put it up on the website. You can get to it at optionalpha.com slash show 164. Again, that's just the number 164. Like I said, we posted this on Facebook, a lot of great feedback a couple weeks ago. And so I figured let's do a podcast on this, kind of like dive a little bit deeper into this to some degree, because it's a really, really important concept that you have to understand. So again, circling back to this just real quickly, what people think is that right now during low implied volatility, that's when I should be buying options. The thought process is options are cheap. And yes, the price, the total like notional price is cheaper now during low implied volatility than it is during high implied volatility. I get that. That makes sense. But the problem is you have two things that are working against you when you buy options during low implied volatility. The first thing that you have working against you is that you have to have absolutely perfect timing. And perfect timing is, as you know, pretty much impossible. So if you have perfect timing, you start to improve the chance of actually having success, but only by enough that it still becomes basically a coin toss. So let me actually quote you from the research. Again, this is a quote from the AQR research. And I always say this, like the reason I'm doing this now is because, you know, for some reason it feels like, even though we've talked about this a lot, that some people like still don't believe that this is actually true. Like it's just stuff that Kirk made up, you know, to sell more options selling stuff. 
But then you look at so much other research that's already been done in this space, we're all talking the same thing. Like we're all singing the same tune. It's just a different way of approaching it, how we display the content, how we talk about it. But all this stuff is out there. So it's very much readily available. You can go do your own digging on it. I think they do a really good job of just kind of condensing it down into a very simple format to kind of explain this problem. So inside they said this, they said, quote, we find that on average, passively buying Delta hedged one month options loses money on about 70% of every 30 day holding period. Now think about that for a second. I'm just going to pause inside the quote there. Think about that. Just passively buying options on a Delta hedge basis, because generally low implied volatility sticks around for a long time, loses 70% of the time. Now that's pretty interesting because generally selling options on a 30 day period generally wins about 68 to 70% of time, which is about a one standard deviation move. So it makes sense that that would be the alternative. Okay, so they go further and they say, quote, now assume that a crystal ball showed us the future equity volatility and with perfect foresight. So if we consider only the 30-day holding periods in which realized volatility increased relative to its historical past, i.e. that you had perfect foresight and where volatility was going, the hit rate improves only to that of a coin toss. And so again, this is really interesting. Think about this for a second. What they did is they subdivided the categories of trades and they said, okay, let's assume we had amazing foresight. We knew when the market was going to go through a period of high volatility. And because that's really what you're betting on when you're buying options, it doesn't matter if it's calls or puts, those are directional assumptions. We're talking about just buying options generally when implied volatility is low because it's quote unquote, cheap premium, right? And so the assumption is that if implied volatility can go up, what if we just subdivided and categorized all of the research so that we only bought options theoretically when we saw a move up in implied volatility or basically right before you saw a move up in implied volatility. Now, to me, if I like when I was reading this originally, I thought to myself, that surely has to be you know, better than 50-50 win rate. Like there's, you know, it can't be that it's just 50-50 win rate because you literally had perfect foresight. You knew exactly what the market was going to do in these situations and when it was going to see an increase in implied volatility. And what it ended up seeing is basically that it improved the win rate from basically 30% to 50%. So you were still half right, half wrong, even when you had amazing timing. Okay, so let's take a step back here and just talk about this. And then like, this blows my mind why more people don't realize this, but hopefully this podcast helps. If you have perfect timing in how you get into an option buying strategy, really the best you might do is 50-50 on some of these contracts. And these are buying like slightly out of the money 30 delta options, right? The best you might do is 50-50. And so if you bought a little bit closer to the money or even at the money, it still would require perfect timing to be right. And to actually have a likelihood of success over a 50-50 shot. That to me, it's just like too much stuff stacked against me. Like there's too many things that are in the no column, you know, like the unrealistic, like that's not really going to happen column to actually make a significant go with that. And so that's why, you know, this is one of the major problems with buying options is you just have to have perfect timing. And that's frankly impossible to do on an ongoing basis. All right, so number two then is that you had to have perfect management, okay? So this was really important too because they said timing the entry is not enough because you also had to pinpoint the exit to also tip the scales above 50-50. You had to be exceptional at both timing and the magnitude of the move simply not to lose money. And so on average, after a large gain, it basically took 
the system of buying options three months to give all the gains back. This is really, really fascinating, right? So if you think about that, not only did you, and again, like this tips the scale so fast. So not only do you have to have perfect timing, totally unrealistic, let's assume and in some fancy world that you do have perfect timing, but you also had to pinpoint when to exit because you hold on too long and you start to see the time decay and the theta decay of the option value start to erode. You sell too early and you really don't take the full benefit of the option contract that you bought, right? If implied volatility starts to increase and you jump out early, well, you might've missed a big move and that might've you know, tipped the scales on it. So the major two problems now that you see is not only do you have to be perfect at entry, you got to be pretty much perfect at management and exit. I don't know in what world that ends up making money long-term. You could probably go through periods where you do well and you you just like really hit it. Like you go through periods where you just like find that right sweet spot and you're, you know, firing on all cylinders and you're finding the right trades. But ultimately the long-term numbers and probabilities just frankly suggest that you're not going to be that lucky overall. And that's really, really like insightful information that I don't think many people are really talking about. I think the default de facto conversation is, well, you buy options when implied volatility is low, but that's really not the case. It's not just as simple as just buying options when implied volatility is low. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And I think that the complication comes in potentially a couple different forms. So the first one is just this long night of the portfolio, as maybe you've heard me say or you've heard other people say before. But this idea that when you're buying options and you're particularly using a strategy and a system that you know has a low win rate, but when it wins, it's going to win big because we know that's usually what happens. You go through this long night period or potentially this long night where it's very dark in your portfolio for a long time. In fact, you don't even know when it's going to end. So this is that drawdown period of hitting single after single after single or striking out, striking out, striking out, waiting for that home run pitch to come along. And it could take three months. It could take six months. It could take a year for that to come along. So how much time do you have before things ultimately end up to where you just run out of capital before you hit a home run. So this is really a strong reason why we don't suggest that you use options buying as a core strategy or even as a major strategy in your portfolio because you could go through a long period of trying to hit these bets and not knowing when they're actually going to come through. You know, when they actually went through and they did the research on this particular, you know, like case study that we're referencing here, what they saw was they saw that between 1996 and 2018, in every single monthly time period, they saw volatility increase 43% of the time during the month. Think about that for a second. We know on average, volatility is going to go up at some point about four out of 10 times during the month. Like, 43% of the time, we're going to see an increase in volatility during the month. That's pretty good to me. Like that actually was kind of shocking that I, you know, that when I read that, I was like, there's no way that's possible. But sure enough, like that's what ends up happening. Most of the time we see volatility actually increase during the month. So now the question is, well, if we actually saw an increase in volatility, then why didn't this, you know, long strategy of passively buying these options, why didn't that work? And it's because only a handful of times was the volatility increase enough that it covered the difference between what people expected and what actually happened. And so this is what I always tell people. And this is like, yet again, another case study, an outside resource, if you don't believe what we're saying, that proves the point that what people expect is always greater 
than the magnitude of what actually happens. And so although we do see increases in volatility and people say, aha, there it is, there's the increase in volatility, the problem was is that it just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough of an increase in volatility to overcome the overwhelming price advantage that goes to the option seller because of the implied volatility premium or the implied volatility spread, however you want to think about it. So even though we saw volatility increase 43% of the time every single month during the 1996 to 2018 period, we saw volatility increase at any point. It just wasn't enough in most cases. And this is where the long night comes in. You could go through like 2017 was an incredibly flat year generally for volatility. So you go through those long lull periods where you're just not doing anything. And at some point, you're just going to turn yourself right into the ground with your accounts and your trades. So hopefully all this stuff has been really helpful. Again, the two major reasons why buying options during low volatility doesn't work is because you have to have perfect timing and you got to have perfect management. And to me, I think it's almost impossible to do one, let alone to do two. So it's practically impossible to do perfect timing and do perfect management. So I think it's, you know, it really just is, you know, two things that are working really, really hard against you to, you know, kind of beat you into the ground if you're buying options. So in either case, hopefully this helped out. As always, you can get all the resources. We'll link them up in the show notes at optionhub.com slash show 163. Now, before we get into the trader Q&A segment, as always, I wanted to just give a quick shout out and thank you to one of the members in our community who left a review for us recently on iTunes. We got a review recently by San Diego Card Sharp, which I think is, I don't know if that's their pet name or if that's their, their name for their like store that they have potentially, but I think they're from San Diego, but San Diego Card Sharp. And he basically said, pure gold. I've recently started learning about options trading. I've been scouring the internet, looking for the best educational resource for months. He's seen the webinars where guys go through their trades so fast that you can't even keep up with them. And then they do a hard sell to buy their expensive course or membership program with the dreaded countdown clock pressuring you to buy. I hate when someone tries to hard sell me. It makes me suspicious. So why are they trying to do that? Why are they trying to sell so hard? I even tried a subscription that doesn't teach you anything about how to trade, but gives you a trade alert once a month with the exact words to tell your broker so you don't have to know anything about what's going on. But I'm the kind of person who wants to know why I'm doing something rather than just blindly following someone else's direction. Then I discovered Option Alpha, and when you consider the incredible amount of information that's laid out in a way that actually teaches you how the markets work in a comprehensive way, there is simply no comparison. I'm listening to all these podcasts over and over again because there's so much value and info, and they're free, pure gold. So thank you so much. And again, this really gets at the heart of like what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do here at Option Alpha is take a much different approach to how we teach, how we run this business, how we interact with you guys, how we build a community, a movement around this stuff. And I'm very, very much humbled by you know comments and stuff like this. And this is how we grow. So if you have any suggestions, if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you like what we're doing in Opshelf in general, one of the ways you guys can help out is obviously just taking the five minutes that it takes to post a review and post up to iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to the podcast. That would be extremely helpful for us. So, all right, so let's get into the Trader Q&A segment. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. In a all sold or short premium portfolio, how do we uh, protect ourselves against a market crash? 
So say we are negative delta to protect against our downside. But if we have all risk-defined positions like vertical spreads, iron condors, things like that, how can we protect our downside when, say, in our bear call spreads would max profit, but all our bull put spreads would max loss? And now we all we know in selling premium that our loss, if it's max, is going to be greater than our profit taking in on the downside. Thank you. All right. So thank you so much for submitting the question. And I know this is a difficult question, one, because it assumes a lot. So in this case, the assumption here is that everything that we have is totally short portfolio to the downside, maybe even in this case, all short put options or short strangles. Basically, like how do we protect against this market crash? And specifically, how do we protect the downside? Well, there's a couple of ways to answer this. The first way is one, just don't have all your money invested. I mean, that's probably the default answer. And that's what I would have said for sure, like going back the last couple of years, that's the quickest and easiest way to do it. So because options are a leveraged instrument by their nature and by their design, they give you a lot of access to capital. So a lot of leverage in the market with very little capital from your end, basically exposed. But many people really kind of misunderstand this because they think, oh, well, because I'm trading these option contracts and they're small contracts and small notional values that I could trade all of my account. But then they run into assignment issues, they run into margin issues, and then they start blowing themselves up. So remember, options are a leverage contract by default, which means that we don't need to trade our full account to get the full benefit of our account using options contracts. So the first thing is just keep a lot of cash. This is an easy one because cash gives you optionality. It gives you the ability to say, hey, look, I don't have to worry that my positions are down or that my portfolio is down or that there's this major market event happening because no matter what happens, I have this much cash set aside. I usually say like it should be around 50-ish percent. I would start there and then start whittling away at it. If you feel like you need to trade more, fine, but start with 50% in cash, 50% allocated somehow and start working from that. That probably is about enough money that you would need on the allocation side. Anything more than that, and you might find yourself into a lot of like really bad situations just based on sequencing risk. This idea that you're going to have this string of losing trades at some point that are going to really, really hurt. The second thing that you can do to protect against a crash is to diversify all of your positions. So we've talked about this just recently on a Facebook Live but this whole credits UBS story that's getting a lot of headlines in the Wall Street Journal. If you haven't looked it up, it's this whole yes portfolio that they were running or yes strategy. We also talked about it before when optionsellers.com blew up because of short volatility trades. In all of these cases, the reason why they're getting so much publicity around the losses is because they did not diversify the underlying tickers that they were trading. This is like investing 101, in my opinion. You have to spread your risk across different underlying asset classes. You can't just trade options short on one class or two classes or even three underlying classes. You need to diversify it across everything. This is why monthly we trade options on bonds, on stocks, on utilities, on oil and gas, on gold, on retail sector, on consumer discretionary. I mean, you name it, we try to spread this as much as possible so that no one little sector could blow us up. Now, the problem with all of this, and this is where I get to kind of the third way that you can manage this risk, 
The problem with all of this is, admittedly, that when markets crash, things tend to start to auto-correlate. So you see things that generally are not correlated in regular environments where stocks are just kind of ebbing and flowing. If you get a major crash situation, you could be in an environment where things just start to auto-correlate or they go to the possible extremes. So things that weren't correlated before now become really, really correlated and just all go down together, right? So what we've started doing and what we implemented just a couple of weeks ago was a continuous VIX hedging strategy. And I, I like this because for a lot of reasons, this basically fills a void that I know we've had to some degree in our portfolio where we haven't allocated as much money to option premium because we knew we had this kind of lingering tail risk exposure, but we didn't really know what to do with it, how to really properly manage it. And now we feel like we have a really good foundation from which to grow because we have this continuous VIX tail exposure that we're going to start plate. We actually did start placing a couple weeks ago and we're going to continue to have moving forward. And all we're basically doing is just simply buying long dated VIX call options on a fraction of our account. I mean, we're talking less than 1% of our account is going to be allocated to this on a rolling basis. So it gives us a lot of upside volatility exposure. And when we backtest this, it should be a positive expected outcome or at least not be a drag on the portfolio. So that was a real key for us is, you know, what can we do that gives global protection for our portfolio that's simple, that's easy to implement, that's mechanical, but then also generally should work and should help out in these types of black swan events where things start to auto-correlate together. So that's one way you can do it. It's a very simple way to do it. If you want to learn more about it, we're going to be doing a podcast here about it soon, but we've also talked about it inside the membership area so you can get more details on that inside the membership area. So as always, thank you guys so much for submitting your question. If you want to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook, as we've been doing pretty much every single week, we jump on and answer some questions on over there. Please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's really easy. Just click the button, leave me a voicemail. It comes right to me and then I get a chance to add it to the next podcast. So let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to discuss a new trade that we're making right now. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so a new trade that we're making today is in IWM. So IWM is a Russell 2000 ETF and for us, we wanted to have some exposure in a broad market index. We know that generally having exposure in something like IWM or DIA, QQQ, SPY, etc., gives us a lot of diversity in our portfolio and helps with uncorrelated assets. And so we don't have anything yet in a broad market ETF as of right now. So we're going to add this first position here in IWM, do it with a really nice wide iron butterfly as always selling the inside strikes at 157 for October expiration and then buying strikes further out at 167 on the call side and 143 on the put side. Now notice on the put side, we did go a little bit lower than the $10 that we went wide on the call side. This just gives us an opportunity to buy some premium at a much lower price. So obviously there's a little bit of put skew right now. So markets are always or mostly anticipating that things will go lower. So put skew is always a little bit high relative to calls. The call options are a little bit cheaper for the same distance out. 
So we had to go a little bit further out on the put side to make this thing work. But we're doing it with just two contracts. We'll take in a net credit of $585. So a little over $1,000 on this collection of premium. And then we'll look to add a new laddered entry once we see if IWM moves. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I hope you guys truly enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to the website at optionalpha.com slash show 164. Again, that's just the number 164, optionalpha.com slash show 164. And until next time, happy trading.